Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human and non-corporeal listeners. Greetings to everyone. Uh, as I said, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. You can find my work at autoguide.com as well as the Autoguide YouTube channel. Ben is found all over the internet. He's like he's like the James Bond of automotive writing. He's just everywhere, and he's got different bylines everywhere he goes. Ben, where can we find all of your wonderful work? Uh, you can find some of it at Driving Line, Automobile, and uh, Super Street. Wonderful. So this week we have some pretty cool cards to talk about and probably some feisty debate as always because Ben just doesn't let me have good things, nice things. Um, this week, Ben, I want to talk to you about a car that I mentioned in passing about, I don't know, eight months ago. This is the Toyota Supra. The 2020, it's officially called the GR Supra. The GR, of course, standing for that well-known acronym, Gazoo Racing. Of course. I mean, who doesn't have a GR tattoo somewhere on their body? Uh, so ignoring that part of the name nomenclature, I got to drive <laughs> I got to drive the brand new Supra, which is causing a lot of uh, waves in this industry because well, in terms of in- automotive enthusiasts, because of the fact that it's built by BMW essentially. Um, and well, that's one of the is, reasons, right? That's one of the things. I mean, there's a I whole think there's, panoply of 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 uh, sticking points for some people with this should car. we start with the sticking points of this of the supra it's and then to get you them out i mean the, the supra is yeah. your baby for those who aren't aware this is like the third time it's the second time he's driven the supra and it, the first time i drove the supra it was camouflaged it had no interior and we didn't know any of the details about pricing specs or anything like that so this is a full fee that i know everything about it as much as i could um, so let's start with what people don't like. This is co-developed with BMW, uh, with the Z4 specifically, which is a convertible. Um, and people don't like that. Why? Because well, it's generally, like Toyota. I mean, it's, they're like, well, did they just take a badge and put it on a BMW and call it a Supra? I think that's kind of what people are worried about. That is, a, that's a very important worry. I also think you mentioned this before. It's like Toyota took... Um, they wanted a flagship sports car for their lineup, and then they just outsourced that mission to BMW. Yeah, not a great look. (laughs) That's what it looks like. Um, But as far as I can understand, and and what I experienced on the track, this is so not a BMW in all of the best ways. Um, I really enjoyed um, driving it. It does have a fairly fantastic, actually a very fast straight-six turbocharged engine, um, in the Supra, it makes 335 horsepower, and it gets from 0 to 60 in 4.1 seconds, which is very fast. And it has an 8-speed automatic transmission. Is that right? Yes. And, and that's there's, the there's other... no manual transmission available with this car. That's right. That's the other uh, sticking point that enthusiasts have with this. When they, when they have a, a, a bone to pick with the Supra, it's the fact that it's, it's a BMW with a Toyota badge. Um, that's the first thing they'll bring up. And then when you tell them it's it, it's very much not like a like a BMW, it's so much more fun to drive than a BMW ever could be. Uh, then they'll bring up the fact that it uses an eight-speed automatic transmission. I will agree with many of those naysayers. It sucks that a sports car, especially a modern sports car, and is a very uh, capable sports car like this, is only available with an eight-speed automatic transmission. I think they if I, I just think they're missing something here. Um, but it's a very good automatic transmission. It sounds uh, – it, it, it's like that BMW Z uh, – sorry, that ZF 8-speed. ZF? ZF 8-speed? ZF 8-speed. That you know so well, and it works very uh, well in all sorts of applications, be it um, 
you know, standard three series or even something like a BMW M5, I think, uses um, a ZF eight speed. Um, and I, I, I enjoyed it. I do wish it had a, what's it called? A manual. Yes. It does have launch control. Does that matter? No. Okay. Uh, and it also has like, um, some pretty fast reacting, um, paddle shifters. So, you know, when you were saying that, uh, earlier you, you mentioned the word outsource, uh, I, I read this, there's a quote that's been going around in a lot of the, the interviews that have come out of the drive event that you went to, where Mm -hmm. Toyota said that if BMW had not become involved in the project, it would, the end product Supra, if Toyota had developed it in-house would have cost a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, that's what they explained to us uh, during a meeting, actually. And they also explained to us that it was them who went to BMW with this idea. They started, they initiated the conversation. They wanted this to happen first. Yeah, but, now, here's my question. What's so wrong with a $100,000 Supra? Because I think when you reach that certain that certain threshold of price, you get lumped in with, an, with some very um, impressive vehicles and I also think that maybe Lexus fills that void in terms of price point for um, buyers. Sure, but Lexus doesn't have a sports car in its lineup. So no, but then you're you're playing that really strange, you know, walking a line between a supercar and a luxury car. Um, and I think that's that's very important. Okay, I, I, I think they I want can, to make the super an attainable vehicle, and it always has been somewhat attainable. Well, I, I hear I hear what you're saying, and I, I feel like these are you know these are good arguments. But there's a couple of counter arguments that I would bring to the table. The first is the Acura NSX. Now, what does that cost? A lot of money. Well over $100,000. Well over $100,000. So, and it disappointed people just the same. <laughs> so there, there's an example of, you know, a, a supercar from the 90s being brought back to now. I know that the, the super wasn't a supercar, but uh, it's, it's kind of the same. It occupies sort of the same mental real estate, I think, for a lot of people. So that was an example of a way to do it um, I mean, at a higher like price a point. a hand-built uh, vehicle with um, a, a, a very unique well, it doesn't have a shared platform. I'm assuming so. the $100,000 Fantasy Supra that Toyota was referring to in these conversations wasn't how it is now. <laughs> I, don't think yeah. it, I don't think it would have been – I think it would have been something better. It would have been different. Yeah. But my, I actually my, have a lot of uh, – I have a lot of insight as to the development and design process. I'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, keep going. Yeah, I just had a second point before we get to that is the, the, the other $100,000 Super Sports car is the Corvette Z06, which is not a luxury car whatsoever. So, I mean, there is a space for that vehicle. Not to mention the Nissan GTR. Yeah, the GTR, that's another good point. I think that's that's uh, another good analogy. So it, we, we have these – these cars are out there. Toyota, for whatever reason, didn't feel like they could compete in that space. Maybe there's not a lot of money to be made there. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is. Um, and, and, you know, BMW certainly wasn't going to make another Z4 unless Toyota got involved because no one bought the Z4. Yeah, exactly. It was a very slow seller. And there was no, it's, it's not a, it's not a, BMW is too small of a company to pursue a niche market like that, that doesn't have the profit margins they need. I mean, it's easier (laughs) for them to build a bunch more SUVs than it is to build another roadster that no one will buy. So anyway, Um, you were saying, tell me about this insight you have into the development process. Okay. So first of all, let's talk a little bit about design. Um, The design of the Supra is, is actually, uh, it was previewed in a in a concept vehicle called the FT1, which yes, I believe which was playable in Gran Turismo, wasn't it? Yes. Now, here's the thing about the FT1. When it debuted, it was very, very big. If you remember what it looked like, it was large. And they explained to me that 
Um, while they had the idea of a Supra happening, they had no idea that it would use this platform. And in fact, the early um, assumptions by the design team, this is the California design team um, of Toyota, uh, design arm of Toyota, said that they knew that the Lexus LC was happening and they designed something around that size and space. And they said that's what the original design was. And then as they, they started, as the, the talks with BMW started um, getting further and further into into reality, coming further and further into a, re- a real product, they started kind of shrinking it a little bit and a little bit. And uh, that's what ends up with the car we have here today, which is something that I, we, I you immediately co- commented on, saying it's not um, a pretty vehicle to you. And I think it looks it, it looks better in person, and I think it grows on you. And I think that rear end is fantastic. Well, b- before we get to the prettiness, I want to just go back to something you just said. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think this is kind of really interesting. So you're mentioning that, you know, Toyota, the Toyota family has this larger platform, this larger coupe platform in the LC. So mm-hmm. it doesn't surprise me that when BMW got into the mix, they took one look at that and said, we don't need another six series mm-hmm. and dialed things back because they, they would not have been able to produce a Z6. You know, like right. that's not something that fits into their lineup. So if they're doing all the heavy lifting, um, then it only makes sense that you have they have a big say in how they're going to market the vehicle. I said this um, a while back, and I, it was actually really cool because uh, in a in a completely unprompted uh, conversation with Tadasan, the uh, one of the lead engineers on the on the Supra, he explained that when the two companies got together and started working on things. Toyota was very clear in what they wanted, but BMW didn't seem to quite get the the messaging. Uh, Toyota said that we want to make a enthusiast-friendly sports car, something that is extremely fun to drive. And they thought by partnering up with BMW, who makes a bajillion M vehicles, that would work. Um, And when BMW started making their Z4, all they wanted to do was make a better Z4. And that was was what was in their mind. And it wasn't wasn't until, (laughs) until they... Finally came up to Toyota and Tadasan and were like, what are you trying to do? And and they said, we want to compete with the Cayman and the Cayman S. And BMW said, well, that's interesting. We've not been doing – we haven't no. been going in that direction. I have so <laughs> many things to say about what you just what you just brought up. One, um, do you think at any point uh, Toyota considered like hiring Albert Bierman as some type of consultant <laughs> on the Supra? They're like, maybe we should just go to Kia. Oh my god, can you imagine? <laughs> if they wanted that M car magic, they should have just gone to Hyundai or Kia and been like, hey, how about we get together on this? Um, the second thing, uh, it, it, it's interesting. The Z4M is a car that you know. I don't think anyone really cared about. The Z4M is a long, is a long fought, uh, or the Z Coupe or the Z4M is that a thing? It was a thing, I believe, but it was not a thing that like. So when I I go to a lot of track days, mm-hmm. I don't see those cars there. It's like the it's like the Mercedes SLK. It's not a car that was really um, known for being nimble and engaging to drive. It was fine, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's not it's not like a a, a Z4 is nothing like a Boxster. No, like, not at all. At all. So Zero. The, and BMW was fine with that. They weren't going after that market, and it's not every car has to be like a Boxster. But for Toyota to say that they want to pursue the Cayman with this car, this I have not driven the Supra, and you mm-hmm. have. I have mm-hmm. a really hard time 
understanding Toyota's logic in pursuing the Cayman as a bogey. This is a car that's at least 400 pounds lighter than a Supra, has a manual transmission and a mid-engine design, and I think is physically somewhat smaller. And it, it just doesn't seem like these two cars line up together. I think the I think the bogey is that the the Cayman is like uh, I think you and I would both agree is one of the top handling vehicles you can buy today, if not yes. the the benchmark for a pure um, sports car, right? Yeah, I would I would agree with you. And I think that's where they were leaning they were leaning into that, but without a manual transmission, it's tough to call this a, a pure sports car in the it same really, vein as it a Cayman. It really is. You know, but, but then I think about stuff like, we had this conversation this week because I was giving you a hard time about mm-hmm. the Supra. And I think about the Alpha 4C, which to me is the epitome of a sports car, but that car doesn't have... A, a manual a, either. A, well, or it, power it, steering. It, it, or, <laughs> or a hood. Or I mean, a, like a trunk or any space to Or drink. a park setting. <laughs> That thing is ridiculous. That is gone. That's that's lost the plot. It's gone so far, right? So, like you know, I, I I'm not a purist in the sense that I need to have a clutch for something to be called a a sports car. But I think if you're going to be going after a car that has a clutch, you might you want to, to also have a clutch. Yeah. Um. It was a very interesting conversation to to like to constantly. And the best thing about Tata San is that he loves to talk about his car, his babies, and uh, the the development process uh, so far. He made it clear that this is not the finished product, and and probably every year, just like the eighty six and the soup and the FRS, they will be making adjustments to it to to meet the consumer demand. Well, how do you feel about that? Do you think like if you're someone who buys this car? And, and then, then the next, next year, year it gets better brakes yeah, or something. Yeah, like, yeah. That's, is that a hard sell? Are, are people going to be waiting for the second year super or the third year super? Like, how does how do dealers feel about that? You know, like they have to they are the ones who ultimately have to sell this thing. Well, I think more and more people one are leasing vehicles, and two, I think enthusiasts are very emotional um, purchasers, so they'll just buy what they want. And they'll do it when they can do it. I guess. Uh, I don't, I, I I don't always, think they usually wait uh, consecutive, like a bunch of years. But that's I, just me. I always think about those poor people who bought the Mustang just before it got the 5.0. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> or, or or the um, – what is it? The Genesis Coupe. Remember the Genesis Coupe? Yeah. It, it, like, I had a friend who did that. He, he bought the, the four-cylinder just yeah. before it got like 60 more horsepower. And I <laughs> yeah. told him, I'm like, wait like five months and you'll be – he's like, no, I want it now. And then he had a hard time selling it later. Because it was so the, tough. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a real thing. Um, another thing is they the BMW themselves don't think they make a sports car anymore, according to what Tata San said in their conversation. That's some shade. The BMW referred to their M vehicles as highly modified passenger cars and not sports cars. Well, that makes sense because I mean every that's M vehicle. They, that's essentially what they are. Well, no, but every built. M vehicle on the market right now is either a truck or a sedan, right? Yes, no, sorry. I'm serious. They're, they're, they're trucks or the sedans. Truck got me. Sorry. <laughs> it, I'm not. I'm not saying that to be to be a jerk about it, but they don't have like a, a two. Well, I, I guess you know the M M4 is is a two door sedan coupe. I don't know. <laughs> what does that mean? It's a. I mean, it's a four series, which is based on the three series. So. Yeah, I, I guess mean, there's no dedicated. Based. You know, I'm going to take that back because it, I, I think the M2. Is pretty close to being a sports car. That's that's kind of a weird I thing to say. That. I agree with that, but they themselves don't consider it that. Well, according that to Tadasan, yeah, <laughs> maybe they 
Or maybe BMW forgot the uh, tube series existed, or maybe they're phasing it out. I believe they're phasing it out towards a front-wheel drive platform. Oh, awesome. That's what everyone wants. But You know, I I just want to – there's another thing that, you know, you keep talking about, and and I've heard this too. So Toyota is really keen to talk about how involved BMW was in this car. But when you talk to BMW about the Z4, they do not mention Toyota at all. No, the the Z4 is 100% a, a BMW joint. And the Supra is too, but it's it's the the same platform. It's the same every, like they work together on it, right? But like the way the suspension works, the way the, the, just the setup and the packaging, the, the, just the overall feel of the two cars. And I'm now experiencing that like firsthand, they're different vehicles. It feels like they are not at all similar. Um, And I'm really impressed that they were able to take such drastic, but the fact is you can get, uh, a lot of the sporting goods in the Z4, which is like the active the differential Z4? Uh, Z4, the active differential and the adaptive suspension, for example, are standard on the Supra, but they're not on the Z4. Yeah, because they know their market, right? They know exactly. that people are are buying this to. It's the ultimate tanning machine. It's not necessarily <laughs> going to go to the racetrack. You're so you're so witty on that poor Z4. <laughs> I just want to say, like, I, I just want to say though that this relationship between Toyota and BMW, it's kind of like. It's kind of like BMW asked Toyota out to like on a study date and they went to it. They went on a study date and it was fine. But like Toyota was like, oh, we're going to go to prom together and then we're going to go to the same college and then we're going to get married. And Toyota, like, like- Toyota's already naming their kids. Oh, one of the kids is going to be called Supra, GR Supra. I don't and then, think it's at all like and this. And then BMW was like, yeah, we had a good time. I don't think we'll see each other again. You know, it's like it, it wasn't the same. It wasn't romantic for BMW. BMW just wanted to get its history homework done. And it did. Well, I think with with Toyota's, I think the the fact that the two companies invested into the platform, BMW's happy because they got a new Z4, um, and I think they're happy with the performance that it has achieved. Uh, especially, I can't wait to drive the. It's called the M40i version yeah, of the I, Z4. I have one of those coming in a, in a, about a month and a half. The six cylinder. Yes. Wow. Uh, that's the one I'm looking forward to to driving because it has a slightly more. It has slightly more horsepower. It has some. Uh, fancier technology, including a bigger infotainment system. I mean, not that a sports car needs an infotainment system of any kind. Well, it's not a sports car. Remember, BMW doesn't make sports cars. Absolutely. That's, that's what we found out today. <laughs> I did not know that until today. <laughs> According to BMW themselves. Um, but it, it's it's a, it's probably the one that will be closer in feel to the Supra, just without a, a, a roof. But I want to talk about how much fun I really did enjoy myself with this car. For starters, we went to Summit Point Motorsports Park, which is in Virginia. I've never been to this track. I've heard a lot of people who said they've tried to go go to this track and have a good time, but it's been rained out every time that they go there. And I was lucky enough to have a dry day on the the course. It's a fantastic circuit. Um, Very middle... Uh, or medium speed. There's a fantastic long straight that we got up to about 115 miles per hour on, um, which is plenty quick. My, my my favorite memory of Summit Point. I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast, but several years ago I went to the Hellcat Charger launch that they had there, mm-hmm. and they also brought one of the um, 
the police pack chargers with full light bar and siren and everything. And I took that out on the racetrack and I got, I was with my friend Aaron Cole. Shout out to Aaron Cole, another nice. automotive journalist. And uh, he was in the passenger seat because they allowed us to do that for whatever reason. <laughs> and uh, we, I caught someone in a Hellcat in, in the, in the police pack charger and Aaron got on the, it had a, uh, like a CB loudspeaker on the outside. Right. And he got on the radio and he was like, pull over. You are too slow. You are too slow. And we were hitting him with the siren and the spotlights. It was amazing. Honestly, the Charger Hellcat is good. But driving a police car on a racetrack with siren blaring and the lights flashing is better. (laughs) Also, it had ballistic door panels. So there's that. Uh, I find it so interesting that you could catch up to somebody in a Hellcat with all of that extra gear in in a Charger. Well, you know, it takes a Mopar to catch a Mopar, Sammy. Okay. Um, I had a lot of fun on the Supra. There's a couple of things that I want to discuss about it um, now that I have the details. And now that I can see it in context, it's a particularly small car. It's about the same length as a 86, which they also had on on hand with us with manual transmission so that we can get that out of the way. Um, It's four inches longer in overall length than the 86, but it has a shorter wheelbase. Which I think is a very interesting design decision by the by the automaker to make something. This is just a, a just to show how sporty it is. And usually a car that has a short wheelbase can feel a little um, nervous at times, especially on uh, at high speeds or on the highway. Um, and this felt very planted. It must be that um, those German roots <laughs> showing themselves here. It felt fantastic. And the pro driver said that this thing feels great on the autobahn and is fantastic on the track. The interesting thing about Toyota's pro driver, they explained, is that by contract, he cannot drive the BMW Z4 at all. And he never did. He, okay, he was, wait, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> that's just – apparently that's just – that's a kicker in, the, in his job. I mean uh, as the test, pro test driver for Toyota, he only drove this car and that was it. Do you think they're worried he'd leave Toyota for like BMW? <laughs> I think it also – I asked him. I'm like, so what did you have – did, like, did you have the Z4 on hand? Did you have the um, the 86 on hand? And he said, no, we knew what we wanted from the get-go. Uh, all we had was a Cayman S, and that's what we kept tweaking our car to, to feel like. You know, I don't – pricing-wise, how much is the base Supra? The base Supra is – I have it right here. Um, before delivery or yeah, before delivery is 49,990. So just under 50, 10 bucks under 50 grand. Okay. So if you were to look at a base, uh, Porsche Cayman, it yes. is not $49,000. How much is a base Cayman? A base Cayman is, um, uh, and they keep 56, kept... 56, nine for a base so model. Regular Cayman? Not for the yes. Regular Cayman is 569. So, at, so at, the most expensive version of the Supra, which is the la- a limited edition launch version of the car, costs 552. Okay, a Cayman S, if you want see, so the car they're like benching, 69, isn't it? 69,000 that you're benchmarking against. So it's so, $20,000 more. And we both know that there's no such thing as a base Cayman S. Right. So a Cayman S is realistically an $80,000 vehicle. So they're they're obviously playing a little bit with uh, with the performance characteristics of their car um, reaching a certain standard, but the yeah. pricing of well, their vehicle is much 
much more uh, approachable by than than the Porsche. I, and I think you've mentioned this to me. You think a Porsche buyer and a Toyota buyer are very different. I, I don't think, I think that's same, true. I don't think it's I the think same customer. True. I don't think somebody's going into a Toyota dealership and being like, I just took a look at a Porsche Macan and uh, let's see this RAV4 for a second. Yeah, so right? it, like, it, it, well, it, starts, it really gets me thinking about um, who's buying the Supra. So you said it's $49,000. Okay, yeah. that's that's cool. Um, it's a sizable leap above an 86. That was my biggest issue with it is I think an 86 Meyer who wants to go up is – they're going to really spend $20,000 or more. That seems like a lot of money. No, I don't – That's eat, almost the price of the 86 in general, right? They're two, yeah, they're, 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 they're two totally different classes of people who are buying – not classes of people, sorry. Classes of car and I think the people who are interested in those cars, I think there are some people who will move from an 86 to a Supra later in life when they've achieved a career – that allows them to make that move, right? Like, if, right. if you're a Toyota, I, would, I really if, would. If I would try, if it had a man, if it had a manual, I'd definitely do it. Yeah, but if you're a Toyota lifer, I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, it's 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 not an unappealing vehicle in any way. But I, I'm wondering, like, in a competitive sense, if you buy a Mustang GT, it's thirty five thousand. It has right. way more power. It's just as fast. Um, it's just as fast. That's interesting, right? Like, it's still four seconds to, to highway speeds, and uh, it's heavier. I don't think a, G, a Mustang GT, especially a base Mustang GT, is more fun to put on the track. Maybe not. So you, it's, it's forty nine thousand, right? Yeah. So a base GT is thirty five. A that's premium a GT is thirty nine, and a mm-hmm. Bullet is forty six. In that's, order, maybe that <laughs> Bullet is the one I'm looking at. I'm thinking well, about. Well, in order to get to a Mustang that's even close to, or or that's not close to, but uh, the the high performance GT three fifty is fifty nine. So that splits the difference between a Porsche and the Supra, right? Yeah. So I still don't the, – the, the, the Shelby GT350 is going to destroy the Supra in any appreciable performance um, uh, measure, I think, measure. on a racetrack. Okay. I just, I'm looking forward I, to seeing more testing on it. But you, I think you're right. I mean it's just more power. It's more grip. More power, more um, grip. It's more aggressively tuned. I mean the Supra is is a streetcar and the Shelby is is a streetcar with an asterisk. Um right. But all this to say, I'm not. I'm not trying to say that the the Mustang buyer and the Super buyer are the same person. No, I'm just saying that like, where does the Super fit in? Because it's way more car than a 370Z, yeah. and it's way less. Is it, it's it's not as comfortable. I'm assuming as a Q60 Red Sport 400. No. Absolutely. So, and, and, and I mean, have you driven a Q60 Red Sport recently? I have. Remember the steering on the yeah, thing? Yeah, that, that's a comfortable luxury car that has a more, it, it has a that lot has of no power. steering. It has a computer that does the steering. Yeah, for it's you, very but. quick in a straight line, but it's not a sports car. But again, it's like price wise, it's similar to a Supra. So are they buying that? A Corvette is like not that much more. No, a Corvette is very close, and a Corvette not only makes more horsepower, makes more power, um, is a little bit lighter. I think about a hundred or two hundred pounds lighter. Yeah. Can be had with a manual transmission in its base, you know, in its base trim. Yeah, so, so, um, so it's it's like the super, but it's a Corvette. The Supra's not a hardcore sports car. I, and, and all of this, I'm saying, none of what I'm about to say is a knock against the Supra. No, I think I hear where you're going with this. So it's, it's, it's not a hardcore sports car. It's kind of a grand touring car. But at the same and it's, time, and it's got track chops as well. Yeah, but at the same time, it's not like an F type is a grand touring car. You know what I mean? I don't think right. it has the same cachet or luxury as a Jaguar. Right. So it's like, where does it fit in? It's its own little – it's fitting in its own bizarre space. I think it wants to be the cheap Cayman that nobody can – that, that people can I don't can think afford. cheap – I think cheap Cayman is a total misnomer for the what this car is. The poor man's Cayman. That's what it but is. But it's not though. The poor man's Cayman is the BRZ. <laughs> oh, because okay. they're, the yes, same, they're the same weight – 
Yeah. And the same philosophy. Actually lighter, but yes. Yeah, it's 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 I, I it's the super is class above BRZ, so it doesn't get to be a Cayman, but it's not class above to the point where it's a nine eleven. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. What a what you weird! Mean. I'm just saying random card. Names at this point. Yeah, you're just saying card names till till I just agree with you. I don't know, but it, it's true. It is a very weird position for the vehicle to be in, and um, we'll see in the future whether it. it gains more equipment or becomes more more powerful as i said that um that six cylinder z4 um is is has what 40 more horsepower than it it's a sizable amount um and could i mean if you could get that much more power in the super assuming it doesn't have the same power plant and just toyota's underrating its engine um yeah good point I, I, I'm going to be completely blunt with you, though. I had so much fun in this car that I could not. The, the it was the engine note that makes me think it's a BMW, and the interior controls are straight out of a BMW. Yeah. But I have driven a bunch of BMWs on the track. I think in February I, I almost I drove every single M vehicle on the track back Humble to back, drag. and including those like um, hardcore CS models. Okay. And I did not have fun with them. What I did was I held on and hoped I didn't kill myself. Even with the M2? Uh, the M2 was is the best of them. But even then, the, the M2 competition has become so much more powerful in so many ways. And it has this sm- small wheelbase that you can, you can goof around in. But at high speeds, it gets, it gets nerve-wracking. You've really got to have some serious nerves to deal with that kind of stuff. Um, with the performance afforded by the m division vehicles does that make sense you need to really know how to drive those cars at that level that they're built for otherwise it's not fun well the limits the limits are really high in those vehicles that's and it's scary to hold on well the limit's probably really high in the super too it just maybe it's friendlier to get there i mean i don't know so much fun to drive yes so my experience is that it was fun to drive it slow it was fun to try to drive it fast and learn how fast you can go and, and what the car is capable of. And here's what it's capable of. Zero understeer. No matter what you do in this car, it rotates in such a, in such a ridiculously enjoyable way. It was such a great learning tool on the track. I've never been on Summit Point Motorsports Park ever in my life. I've never seen it. Um, and I ended up having so much fun. I did so many laps in this car. I, did, I had a blast in it. And I never once felt like it was too much car for me or there was too much track for me so it's a it's what i'm trying to say is it was a fantastic driving tool in a way that no bmw i have ever tested has ever felt so you know you're talking about maybe in the future they're going to do incremental improvements of this car year to year do you think there will be a turbo four-cylinder version of the supra slotting in at some point so there's already one available in other markets but just not in um, the U.S. In fact, there's a really interesting report that a four-cylinder version of the Supra has already been, um, I think, CARB um, certified, okay. which is the California Air and Resources Board. Additionally, the base trim level for the the GR Supra is called 3.0 in reference to the three-liter six-cylinder engine under the hood. Okay. Why would you name the vehicle 3.0 if there isn't going to be other engines, right? I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, the Q60 only has one engine, right? Uh, no. It has the three liter and it has the 400. Yeah, but they're both the same, the same they're engine. The same engine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But they, they call one the three liter and they call one the four, the Red Sport 400. I, another thing I thought was a little weird oh, with this okay. whole... Oh, okay. We're going to ignore that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just moving ahead as if you didn't say anything. <laughs> the, <laughs> one thing I'm gonna, uh, I thought strange about this whole Gazoo <laughs> racing thing is it's going to replace TRD for the Supra specifically. 
But there is still TRD. I mean, TRD seems to be a truck brand more than anything else. Well, but there was. It's just I know TRD is not going away, but just for the super itself, it's like. Yeah, I don't know. why? I mean, they well, built they, so much goodwill with TRD. It's on all of their race vehicles, and their their they've been doing these like uh, long distance rallies with it. Do you think Gazoo has like some crazy ironclad contract with Toyota that they just can't get out of at this point? I don't know. It's such a bizarre that branding throws me off more than anything else with this car. I don't know why. I I, I don't think anyone will call it the GR Supra. Uh, no, definitely not. I don't think the dealerships will call it the GR Supra. I mean, enthusiasts um, are already calling it the Mark V. They're not calling it the GR. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they have the chassis code. It's A90. Remember we were talking um, chassis codes a while back. A90. Yeah. Remember that. Yeah. Um, and it's eh, it's it's a silly thing. I don't get it. I think – can there be a GR Supra TRD? That's too many brands, Yeah, right? that's not great. GR, that's not going to work. TRD, TRGR, TRD, GGR. I can't even say it. So you can't make a high-performance Supra with that – Branded. Distronic plus GRD. <laughs> so it's an interesting it's an interesting placement for sure, but I will tell you that it is a satisfying car to drive. Um I know that a Supra is so is supposed to be so many things thus far we've experienced in history. It's supposed to be a two plus two, it's supposed to be a two J Z, it's supposed to be a bunch of things. Um and this one is not any of that. Overnight but it parts. is a fantastic sports car um, Over, overnight parts from germany if we have to <laughs> actually it's worth pointing out that toyota did a um i don't know what the word what the what the term for it is but they they invited a bunch of aftermarket companies uh through sema to uh, take a look measure the vehicles um dimensions and uh, take and photograph and figure out what people might want to create aftermarket components for so they can and, drop a 2jz in it right that's basically the, the entire purpose of that but apparently exercise. it was the most attended um one of these exhibitions ever okay it well was, i mean you mean so the aftermarket interest is is already there for the super and so i you can say imagine the aftermarket's more interested in the super than it was when, when they brought the highlander Yes. No, I mean, seem on SEMA's end, this was the uh, most attended. That's insane. I mean, think about the the. There's been some really enthusiast friendly vehicles that have come out recently, like the Jeep Wrangler, for example. Um, and can you imagine the, the the sort of hubbub that would have that would have um, brought up with aftermarket parts suppliers? So, what? Just to wrap things up, one last question about the the Supra. If if Toyota was to approach another automaker, mm-hmm. what vehicle should they? collaborate on and what car company should they collaborate with for their next uh, masterpiece yeesh yeah um, like do you want to see a, a hellcat in a, a a hellcat engine in a tacoma or like do you sports. want who doesn't do you want to see a turbo diesel camry from volkswagen they, they have a lot of engines they got to get rid of <laughs> sitting in a warehouse right now you know what would you want to see that's such a curious that's such a tough question and i know that people are are kind of joking about this but toyota has approached a number of automakers for collaboration in the past we know the gm and toyota collaboration created the vibe and the matrix which are two fairly good i mean not exciting but very good hatchbacks that lasted forever um, and there was a long time ago, there was a feasibility study for a pick, a hybrid pickup truck with Ford, and that didn't end up going anywhere. Apparently there was too many, there was just too much, uh, ego to deal with when it came to that. And then so there's may- Subaru one and the, and, and now BMW. So who's left in this industry for that? I mean, people? Toyota could always buy FCA <laughs> and then rebadge the Ram. 
or JLR apparently. Like, <laughs> so who knows? All right. Well, you know, um, I didn't I, get to answer that, but I don't really have a great answer. Do you have anything you'd like to see? I think I just said what I wanted to see. You want to see an FCA product? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why not? I mean, get yeah. Bring some. back the the Chrysler Cars division with a. <laughs> I would love to see what FCA could accomplish if they had a budget <laughs> <laughs> and reliable car. Like if they get if they had if they were like okay. We free you from the LX platform, and you no longer have to build yet another cool version of the Challenger. Think of what they could accomplish. I mean, they're so creative already. Anyway, um, I drove something last week as well that was nowhere near as exciting as the Supra, but given that we have equal time on this program, uh, we're going to talk about it anyway. And that's the, the it's actually interesting because we've had some, some listeners write into us. And they've been saying, hey, what's the deal with Lincoln? And is Lincoln kind of the new Cadillac in the sense that Cadillac may have lost its way and Lincoln is kind of pulling out ahead? So we, we pondered this question because I drove a 2019 Cadillac XT5 for a week. And I ha- before that, you drove the XT4, and that's when you were like, I'm not so sure about this. Game. Yeah, so we, we talked about the XT4. The XT4 was not great, and there were a lot of things about it I did not like. Mm-hmm. Um the XT5 is a vehicle that I have not driven since it was launched. And I believe that was two years ago. Sammy, we were on that program together, I think. Yeah, fun time. And we drove out in the desert and there were cactuses and stuff. Do you remember that? Do you remember yep. the cactuses? Okay. so I remember, I remember the cactuses. <laughs> so I liked it at the time. Mm-hmm. I was into the XT5 because this is a vehicle. It's a midsize SUV, five passengers. It competes against the Lexus RX, the Acura MDX, um, and at the time, the the Lincoln acronym I've forgotten. Because, what was it, Sammy? MK, uh, MKX, X, I believe? Yes. So, uh, it, these are vehicles, uh, it, the RX, since, the, since Cadillac has released the X-T5, the RX has morphed into a kind of crazy looking vehicle. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's not at all the conservative. Um, it's way family. out there. You really yeah, gotta it, have uh, a personality to drive something like that. You gotta that, be confident to get. Yeah, you gotta be confident of the RX. It, 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 it's really out there, uh, as Sammy says. Um, the the MDX is pretty good. Uh, it's much better as a sport hybrid. It's very fast. Yep. Um, but the the Lincoln's uh, hasn't really done anything with the MKX until this year with the Nautilus, and I don't think anyone's driven the Nautilus yet. So My colleagues like, actually just drove it, and they were pretty impressed with it. But it still feels at times like a Ford, which was their biggest criticism. Okay, so you you still have. I mean, the Navigator is a vehicle that is extremely nice inside and out, just in terms of uh, it. You know, from some angles, it kind of looks like an expedition, but inside, it looks nothing like it. It's it's very um, unique to the brand. It feels very high end. It's quite expensive, which is the one flaw it has because I don't think Lincoln has that brand recognition to be able to pull that off. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's gorgeous inside. Mm-hmm. The the XT5. I was like, you know, it's been a couple of years. What are my memories like of this vehicle? And does it hold up? So I, I was driving a platinum version of the car, which is really, really expensive. Um, in Canada, it's like $72,000, which yep. is kind of crazy when you consider that for that amount of money, you can get an import brand that has bad recognition and more people will be aware of what you're driving. But um, in the States, it's almost as expensive, which is something that really surprised me. It starts at 41000 but mm-hmm. you can easily add like almost double that money if you go for the platinum trim, then and, and you add all-wheel drive, and you're like, oh, I, I want a, a few options. You're at 
$65,000. Like, Pricey. And, yeah, okay. It's, it's close to seventy if there's no discounts on the vehicle. So, again, it's a very expensive vehicle for what it is. Okay, but hold up. Let's, let's take a step back here. Expensive Cadillacs are nothing new, and some expensive Cadillacs are worth it. I mean, CT6 with that Super Cruise is like a – it's nearly $100,000, I think, and it's like – Pretty sweet ride, but a CT6 is a is a class above vehicle. It's meant to right. compete with like the A8 and the the Seven Series. I think the XC5 right. is up against the RX. Uh, I I don't remember how much an RX costs. RXs can get pretty pricey, but the problem is the the when you end up spending a lot of money on an RX, I think you get a product that's worse than the base product because you <laughs> have to so get that F-Sport version of the car, which stiffens up the suspension and then makes a completely unlivable luxury crossover it's not a luxury crossover at that point it's something else it's not fun Um, and i feel sorry for the people who get um who get pushed into buying an f-sport version of the car because that's what they have on dealerships uh, on lots or something yeah you can get the hybrid version too and i think the hybrid uh it it dials down some of that crazy suspension but But it's a heavier car so yeah yeah but i mean i'm 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 actually building a um a hybrid RX right now, and I don't think yeah, it looks like I could probably get to sixty. So this is a ten thousand dollar gap. Anyway, wow. I really like the XT5. Why? Because sorry if I sound crazy, but it's it is has it improved since the last time we drove it when we thought it was kind of it was okay. Um, I liked the it. Fact I know we were getting it. Oh, now it's okay. Home. But at the time, you were telling the Cadillac people how much you liked it. I first of all, I never did that. <laughs> <laughs> that's insane um i found it i mean i still think that like i said a, a non-esport version of the rx is a fantastic car if you can get over the design flaws with the interior which is that it's a very busy interior and you have to deal with uh the probably worst the worst infotainment system. System. The we've worst. said this a million times and probably say it a bunch more um so what what is it about the this right. XT5 that really did it for you? I'm going to lay it out for you. First of all, the styling. I think the XT5 is a classy looking truck, mm-hmm. uh, especially they compared- took conservative design and made it look good. Yeah, it, exactly. It's it's a truck that you would not be ashamed of driving to almost into almost any situation. It doesn't look over the top, but it also doesn't look like garish and flashy like an Escalade. It is a it is a more modest vehicle that still looks like you spent a decent amount of money on it. Inside, okay. in the Platinum, it looks like that too. There's leather, wood, and metal trim, plastic. It all works together. There's details. That's a lot of material in one in one cabin to to point out. Yeah, but it's it's done nicely. It like well. the, the dash is leather, but it has wood highlights, so it draws your eye um, away from. You're not just looking at the same thing all the time. And I think that's an important thing. I get into so many luxury cars these days, especially uh, some German luxury cars, where there's not a lot of color contrast. Yeah, And you end up – you're looking at black all the time or dark gray all the time. And it's kind of like eh, – you know, in Canada, we have winter and winters can be gloomy. And you get in this vehicle and you're like, oh, this is kind of not really raising my spirits. But the X-T5 I was driving had a nice tan leather and then a nice light trim wood. <laughs> and together, it just looked really good. And it was integrated well with the dashboard too. Like the the, the screen for the Q infotainment system didn't feel tacked on Um it, it, that's a that's insane that you bring that up. I can't believe that that's such a sticking point for you because I hear that from um, from commenters on stories or videos that infotainment systems are being stuck on the top of these dashboards and it looks ridiculous. But to me, I, I don't mind it because it's right in my you know field of view and I can I can operate it easier. I I, I use the infotainment system more and more. That's where everything is nowadays. Um, 
but for you to, to point out that having it in the dash recessed into the dash is better for you that's that's important a lot of people make that make that comment and to see a car still stick to that design is is something that that, that those commenters would like right An- another thing i like about it it has a 3.6 liter v6 engine standard equipment mm-hmm. uh there's no other motor that's kind of a problem if you're interested in fuel efficiency because the the xc5 is okay but it, it's not going to match the the fuel mileage of a four-cylinder although i will point out that most four-cylinder turbos in a vehicle that's heavy like a five passenger crossover you're going to be working it hard it's going to not really match what the window sticker says the biggest difference between the motors um is in in the cadillac you have to rev up to like 6500 rpm to get maximum power it's right. 310 horsepower and 271 pound feet of torque but in a turbo four, you'd get that power at about two, you get that torque anyway at about two thousand RPM. So right. that's going to be a difference. You're going to notice that mostly around town. But uh, and no that leaves a good impression, like when you're driving a car with with a low torque, uh, low end torque. Yeah, people people tend to perceive like that it. as being more powerful. But uh, you don't really notice it in the XT5 as as being a negative because you're never really racing around in this vehicle. It's not something that encourages to drive. It doesn't encourage you to drive quickly. Uh, it's a family car. It's comfortable. My vehicle came with um, an adaptive suspension system and it worked quite well. It was reasonably comfortable on on the terrible roads we have here in Montreal. Um, but one thing, Sammy, that I didn't like about it is the all wheel drive system. Uh, okay, why? What's the what's the big deal with this all-wheel drive system? It's well, not well, always on, is it? Ah, there you go. Exactly that. So what? So what? Okay, we talked about this with XT4 a little bit, didn't we? Yeah. If I'm buying a luxury crossover that has all-wheel drive written on the back, mm-hmm. I will be driving one day. It's going to get slippery. I don't want to have to think, did I turn the all-wheel drive on or not when I'm driving on a treacherous stretch of road that's suddenly become very icy? I just want the system to step in, take over, do its all-wheel drive thing, and keep me pointed straight without me having to figure out if I need to push a button or not. And I think that if you're buying a luxury car, that's not too much to ask for. Hmm. Because almost no other brand makes you turn the all-wheel drive on and off. Um, okay. All right. I hear you. I mean, especially in comparison to, let's say, you know, another car that you drove recently was the, um, on, uh, what is it called? The Evoque, a, a, a Land Rover ja- Jaguar product. And, you know, you can probably get a, a, either a Range Rover Sport or a uh, or an Evoque in this price point. You know, those are rugged vehicles with always on all-wheel drive systems. But an Evoque is a little bit smaller than an XT5, I think. Okay, sorry. Not, and, not a lot smaller, but... And there's other vehicles that are as well. They have that all-wheel. I mean, a Q5 with its all-wheel drive system is is much more reliable feeling. Um, don't need to worry about pressing a button to make sure that yeah. the all-wheel drive system is and, on. And, so and you it, just want to you just want that. But I just want the, that. Is the two-wheel drive mode meant to be like a fuel economy saver? Because you mentioned it's got to it's got to be that's got to be it. I mean, I can't think of another reason why. But the other thing that that I was thinking, and I'm I didn't drive the car often enough. I didn't notice this when I was driving, and I really should have taken note of. But if it's wintertime, and I want to keep the all-wheel drive on all the time, I don't think you can do that. I think you have to turn it on every time you're in the vehicle. If you go into sport mode, you're automatically in all-wheel drive. If you go into touring mode, you're in front-wheel drive, and there's a second button for all-wheel drive. So if I'm in touring... Okay, that's a bit much. Yeah, so if I get in the car on a snowy morning, and I want to put all-wheel drive on, I would want to to be able to just keep it on all the time until I turn it off. It's possible that... 
GM can't do that and meet its fuel economy targets for the vehicle, and that's why it doesn't happen. But that's an engineering problem and not something you should necessarily force the consumer to deal with. Okay. Um, so you mentioned the the design, nice and strong and uh, classy conservative with, with some style. You mentioned the engine, which is quite good, um, but, but you need to rev it up. Not quite the punch of a four-cylinder turbo. No, Which, but still, still more the than The competitors that you were mentioning don't have a four-cylinder turbo, do they? Which competitors did I mention? The Lexus RX does it, but it has a hybrid system which could can feel pretty good at low range. Okay. At low rev range, right? Yeah, that's a good point. That, that is a good point. So so I, maybe I was thinking, you know, people are shopping this against an X3 or something like that. And at least the – I know the – what's it called? The Lincoln – oh, we just mentioned this. Nautilus has a turbocharged four-cylinder engine and a turbocharged six if I know – if I remember my, my specs on the car. Um so it will have lots of torque down low. Um, Other things I liked about it, it's, yeah, uh, it's got roomy cargo space. Um, I was able to transport a pretty large road bike in the back with the rear seats down with no problem. I just loaded in, loaded out. And you can't do that in every crossover. I mean, some some of tires in there? I didn't. Uh, let me think. No. <laughs> <laughs> I used I, the, you tagged me in a, in a post, in a tires post on Instagram. Yeah, but I think it was in the Jeep. Okay. I think I was using the Jeep to move tires. Oh, uh, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about the Jeep at the end of the podcast. So thank you for Okay, cool. But uh, it's it's the Cadillac. It, I could recommend this vehicle. I wouldn't recommend the Platinum. I don't think you should spend 70000 on it. But if you could get one for 55000 with the features that you want, and I think you could do that if you were good at getting the discounts from GM that are out there, plus looking at the option sheet – um, it, it's, I, I would take this over an RX. No question. I, the, the, the Lexus infotainment system is inexcusable. And, and the go, RX is getting old. Like yeah. It feels and you old. crazy trying to use it. Cadillac mm-hmm. Q people have been upset with it. I wish there was a volume knob. There's not, but apart from that, it worked very well during our time together. Uh, and, and for sure head and shoulders above, above the Lexus. Right. I'm. I'm still um, hesitant to recommend the XT5, but I do recognize that it's it's very good in a very niche um, segment. I will say I'm really looking forward to – you brought up Lincoln earlier. I'm looking forward to the next Lincoln product, which is the Aviator, which is built on an all-new platform, which is also underpinning the Ford Explorer. It can be had with a, six, uh, a hybrid powertrain that offers 600 pound-feet of torque, which is insane. Um, and I'm I'm very much excited about what this product can be, but it might be a class above because you can get I think three rows of seating in it. Yeah, definitely. Um, With 600 horsepower or 600 pound feet, it's definitely class above. You yeah, know, it's really disappointing to me that Cadillac can build something as good as the XT5 and then not follow through with the XT4. Like the drop off in quality is enormous between these two vehicles. And if you're starting, and people are going to be starting out in the XT4, and if that's their first impression of the brand, they're not even going to look at the XT5 when it comes time to trade in. Absolutely. I mean, that's um, really too bad. Okay, so anything else you want to add about the XT5? Uh, no, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, I think okay. it covers everything. Why but, not tell me what's going on with your Jeep? So remember how the last podcast I was talking about the tapes and hunting down the tapes and stuff? And that whole process, audio cassettes? Yeah, I I vaguely remember. Yes. Okay. So um, yeah, I, I decided to change the, the speakers in the uh, the doors and and in the back. So like I the car the truck came with like this Jensen uh, high quality tape player stereo system. Mm-hmm. And um, I I pulled the, the speakers out. And they're all paper cone speakers. Like, they're all the original 1987 speakers. And then I went to the right side of the truck, the right front. 
and I took the door panel off, and I realized that, like, I don't know, something bad had happened to the right side of the the, the, the stereo system somehow. It was, like, blown apart, and, like, the the um, other the other speakers had, like, this floating tweeter dome that was, like, held by a, a piece of plastic that was arching over the speaker cone, and that was just missing from oh this God. one. And and the wire leads had been torn from the speaker. So it turns out I had no right channel in the front of the truck. I didn't even know that. That's how bad the stereo was. Okay. But I replaced the quality – I replaced the speakers with like some middling quality um, – I don't even remember the name of the brand that I bought. Uh, okay. And it's so much better. And now I have so many tapes, Sammy. I have like 60, 70 tapes in a bag in the truck and it's oh so hard God, to find what I want. dangerous. And you can't go on Amazon anymore and buy like a tape case. Like that's not a thing. They have really okay. terrible – they have one that's basically like a plastic bag. <laughs> uh, but I'm not, I'm not going to pay for that. Anyway – um, the other thing that I, I've noticed about the truck is the rear window. So I drive with the rear window down a lot, which you're not supposed to do because the toxic fumes come in and then you, you die. But um, with it up over time, like as I drive, it hits bumps and it falls down just a little bit on one side. And I think water's getting in through there, but also smoke and, and uh, smoke exhaust is getting. In. I was driving with my friend Kanishka today. It's another colleague of ours, and we were on a run to IKEA, and he's like, "You don't smell that," and I'm like, "Smell what?" And he's like, "He's like, it smells like exhaust in here," and I'm like, oh, "No, I don't no. smell it at all because that part of my brain has died at this point, <laughs> right? Like I don't even notice." Okay, but uh, yeah, so that's that's my update on the Jeep. It's 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 an ongoing project. I think the next part of the project is going to be replacing the uh, weather sealing around the door in the back. Uh, the sorry, the tailgate and the glass, and maybe some of the chrome trim that's back there to try and watertight things. That uh, is is going to be easy. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what's the difficult part you're looking, you're you're facing here? Well, taking Besides. apart thirty five year old tailgates is generally never fun, um, and you know it's it's going to be a process. I see. Okay, well, uh, I encourage people to, you know, stay in touch with us um, for the podcast one, so that they can uh, give Ben good luck charm uh, or wishes when they're when they're when he gets to tackle this kind of stuff, um, and two, so that they can hear what's going on next. So I recommend people come to the website; it's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And while you're there, you can subscribe to the podcast using any of your podcast catchers or podcast clients. It's very easy. There's a bunch of buttons on the top of the website. Um, I'm sure you guys know how to use those buttons, but you just click on them, and it should work seamlessly. That's my experience. Uh, additionally, there are photos and links of the cars that we've been talking about, and you can click on a contact form there so that you can get in touch with us um, through there. If you want a more personalized method of uh, speaking to us, you can email us. Uh, ben loves email, so I'm gonna give him, I'm gonna give you guys Ben's email. It's Benjamin at benjaminhunting.com, and we are also on social media. You can find us uh, on on Facebook, unnamed automotive podcast. We're right there, and you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing, and you can find Ben on Instagram because that's where he posts photos of all of the greasy work he's been doing on his Jeep. Greasy he's, work. <laughs> I, yes, uh, he's at hunting Benjamin. Uh, and, I think um, covered our bases here, right? Yeah, definitely all the bases, except for the basis of what we're going to be talking about next week, Sammy. I'm going to be discussing Alexis. You know, we were just talking about Lexus infotainment being terrible. I'm going to double down on that with a review of the Lexus UX, which is their brand new, all new, tiny little SUV. I'm kind of into it, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, we'll expound more on that next week. Sammy, what are you going to be driving? 
I'm going to be going to Norway to drive the mer- new Mercedes EQC electric crossover. So Ooh, I'm not Norway. quite. I can't. I don't have the embargo dates uh, memorized yet. So let's hope that. Uh, I can talk about it before the end of next week. If not, I'm sure we'll find something fascinating that everyone will just love to hear. And uh, thank you so much for listening, and we hope to have you back next week. Take care.